Hello and welcome again to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. If you want to enjoy a well-balanced life, rich in peace, happiness, love and contentment, learn to honour... Is a balanced your... life something you aspire to? Is it something you consider worthy of pursuing? And if so, how do we even begin to achieve it? Dr. Corbett is in a 10-part series titled Top 10 Proven Keys to Living a Balanced Life. Tonight is the sixth in the series and he looks at listening more than we speak. His topic, two ears and one mouth, used in their correct proportions, can add years to your life. Also, if you haven't seen when, when you're not here, we webcast live. So right now we are on, on the internet live. So you can see this at lagana.org slash webcast. Let's pray. Father, may your words sink into our hearts. We are here today not to be impressed, but for you to impress us. And so, Father, I pray that you would impress upon us your word. That, Father, your word would be like that mould over that thing that makes something look like something. That, Lord, your, your, your mould, the mould of the character of Jesus Christ would come over us today. And that, Lord, we would all leave this place a little bit more like Jesus today. So, Father, let your word be effective in our hearts, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been looking over the last few weeks at the top 10 proven keys to living a balanced life. And we've already looked at five of them and I want to review those in a moment. But just to let you know that the picture that I'm giving here is that a balanced life is a life that is in the middle of the potter's wheel. It's a life that has fingerprints of the potter on it. It's a, it's a life that, that, that while that wheel is spinning, that clay is in the middle and the potter is shaping it. It's the picture given in Jeremiah 18 where, the, where God says to Jeremiah, am I not the potter? Uh, are you not the clay? And he's, he's actually castigating the people of Israel for refusing to surrender and just stay on that wheel and stay in the middle of that wheel and let me mould you and let me shape you. And so this is, this is that picture that I want to present, that if we are in the middle of that wheel, then everything in our life, no matter how much is spinning around us, Everything about us is balanced. And I think there's, there's so much to life where we don't understand that, that life isn't so much about our circumstances and how we, how we cope with our circumstances, but life is about what's happening on the inside of us. I've met two people going through exactly the same thing, one not coping, one coping quite easily. And the difference is not external. The difference is not a difference in circumstance. The difference is, is a matter of heart. It's a matter of what's in their soul. And so this picture that God is shaping a piece of clay into a piece of art. And God is the artist. And when we read through scripture, we read of a God who created things, not just for functional use, but, but, he, but it says in Job that, that he created sea creatures, some of which frolic in the sea. And it's, it's, it's amazing that you can watch dolphins and some varieties of whales who actually love to please human onlookers. It's amazing. And they actually frolic for human beings and they frolic and they enjoy 
that, and that's a part of God's design. But also, as we, I was walking somewhere this week and I thought, why do flowers have to have colour? I mean, all they have to do is attract bees. They don't need the colour. As far as I know, some of these insects can't even detect the colour, but they, they, get the, they get these beautiful fragrance. They can detect the fragrance. We get to detect the colour. We get to detect the beauty in these things. And why did God do that? Because he's a beautiful God <laughs> who does these things. And he's doing this in our life. So a piece of art. And the best place for the clay to be during this process of God having his way is in the middle of the will. And when, when you're in the middle, you're perfectly balanced. So we've seen that, in order, that the ten principles, and having a look at the first five, and we'll introduce the sixth today, is that what you become a, the first proven principle for, for living in the middle of that will is, is to live a life of truth. And there's words associated with truth. It's the word integrity. And integrity means one, like the, the mathematical num, you know, definition of numbers. An integer is a whole number. It's not one and one half or one and seven eighths or 1.2. It's one. And so an, an integer is, is whole and... To, to live a consistent life where you don't have to think, okay, who am I to this crowd? Now, who am I to this crowd? But you're just, you're just the same person. To live a life of truth. And we've seen that people of integrity, people of truth, are people who are honest. And we've seen that the best way to be honest is to be constantly reminded of the truth. And I mentioned the research by Duke Professor uh, Dan Arely who did a major global research project. Thousands and thousands of people participated in this. And he found that in every instance, no matter what gender, no matter what country, no matter what language they spoke, something in the order of 70 to 80% of all people on planet Earth are always going to cheat if given the opportunity. Doesn't matter what your religious background is, 70 to 80% of all people will cheat given the opportunity. Bit of a shame, really. But he also did this, and it's not a religious survey. And if, you, if you've got Netflix, you can click on this and have a look at the documentary. It's called Dishonesty. And he said this, we, we then asked the, the applicants to do one thing before they undertook this same test. And, and the one thing was, write down as many of the Ten Commandments as you can remember. Some of them could remember one. Some of them could remember some that actually weren't Ten Commandments, and they're very creative. But he said this, then when we tested them, 100% of the applicants did not cheat. And he said it didn't matter if they were religious or not religious. The very fact that they were reminded of the truth changed their ability to be honest. Interesting. We've also seen that the person who lives a well-balanced life is a person who's thankful, grateful. They express gratitude. They are, this word, content. They've learned to be content. We've seen that the person who is well-balanced in their life understands what this word freedom means. And we saw that when we looked at bowing down when you should be standing up. And some people say, oh, you're not going to tell me what to do. No one's going to tell me what to do. And the very same people, when put in a, a, a situation of difficulty, will say, why didn't someone tell me? <laughs> you know, no one's going to tell me what to do. Why didn't someone tell me? <laughs> Comes out of the same mouth, often within minutes of each, other's, each of those statements. And so we all crave, actually, someone to tell us what to do. 
We do. And so this whole concept of freedom, is it, the, the idea that freedom equals I can do whatever I want, is one of the biggest fallacies that's ever been promoted. Can you imagine, as we mentioned when we looked at this, can you imagine a world where people built the word, around the word freedom, that definition, I can do whatever I want. Can you imagine what kind of world we'd live in right now if people thought that was what freedom was? No one's going to tell me what to do. I can do whatever I want. That is not freedom. Freedom is not to do what you want. True freedom is to do what you ought. That's true freedom. And Jesus Christ said, keep my word, abide in my word, and you will know the truth. And the truth will set you what? Free. Free. We've also seen that... um, only because I was trying to be clever with the title. Being in a hole may make you holy, but it does not make you holy, holy. There's homonyms for those English teachers. You may want to note the homonyms in that title. And the point there is that that word holy doesn't mean religious. It's, it's associated with religion because it means impeccably good. It means so good, it's unusually good. It's so good, it's not everyday good, it's wow good. Holy is special because it's so good. When you, when you, I mentioned about some fine bone china plates that you may have in your house. You don't eat your dinner off them every night. Chances are, if you happen to own a Wedgwood set of fine bone china plates, they're probably on plate stands and they're probably in a glass cabinet. Why? They're still functional. You could still use them. Why? Because they're really, really, really good plates. I mean, they're so good, you don't use them. I mean, these are the most awesome plates in the world. How do you know? I mean, how do you know? You've never used them. Because they're so good, they're kept behind glass. That's what holy means. So when we ascribe, God, you are holy, do you hear what we're saying? You're not common. You're not ordinary. You're not kind of good. You're so good. And the well-balanced life is a life that is a holy life. Again, it's not a religious term. It just means you're good. And what are the words associated with that kind of good? Kind. Caring. Considerate. You live like that. You'll you'll be amazed at how often... That sometimes the horrible circumstances you're in and the horrible people in those horrible circumstances begin to change. This is one of the keys to living a balanced life. And then we've seen that if the price is too right, the cost is always too high. If the price is too right, the cost is always too high. And I think of people who think, I can get away with this. No one will ever know. (laughs) The cost is too right, but the price is always too high. And that comes down to integrity. It also comes down to respecting the rights of others, to own property, to have certain rights that you don't violate, and you live in in a respectful way, respecting the rights of others, and you are living a well-balanced life. I want to make this statement that God has designed for us to be people who think. Paul writing to Timothy, and I think it is at um, 
First uh, Timothy two seven or Second Timothy two seven, where it says, "Think on these things, and God will give you understanding." For many Christians, that first half of the verse isn't necessary. They think, "Well, I don't want to think it through. I just want God to give me the understanding." Whereas the Bible says, "Think on these things." So, so. Living a well-balanced life, living a life that's pleasing to God will, will engage your thought process. It will engage your thoughts. It engages your mind. It also engages your heart. It affects how you feel. You cannot be in the middle of the wheel with the potter shaping your life and not begin to feel different. And when I say feel different, I don't mean goosebumps down the back of your shirt. I mean how you see other people, how you feel about other people, how you feel about needs that you see in people. You begin to feel different. And living the Christian life, living a well-balanced life, not only affects how you think, it not only affects how you feel, but it affects your lifestyle. It affects how you live, the choices you make, the actions you take, the decisions that end up, as F.W. Borum said, in life we make choices and then our choices make us. So how do we summarise that so far? I'm taking this verse from Micah chapter 6, verse 8, and I hope that you begin to see that genuine spirituality, real spirituality, It's not just an intellectual exercise. It is, but it's not just that. It's not just a matter of gushy feelings toward the poor or gushy feelings toward the the deprived. It's not just feeling sympathy for people. It's not just wanting to do what you can to help people. It is that, but it's not just that. It also results in action. You actually do something. And this is what it says in Micah 6.8. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do? To is a verb and do is a verb. To do justice and to love kindness, there's the heart, and to walk humbly with your God. There's an attitude that involves your thinking. So this is what God's required of you. He wants your whole mind, he wants your whole heart, and he wants your whole action, which I'm going to use the word Soul, because it's out of your soul that action comes. So when we read in Psalm 103, bless the Lord, oh my soul, it's gone from the head through the heart and then into your life. And with my whole life, I'm going to bless the Lord. So now, this is episode six. And it's called, drum roll please, two ears and one mouth used in their correct proportions can add years to your life. So it should tell you, two ears, one mouth, it should tell you which you should do more, listen or speak. Two ears, one mouth. There's the proportions. (laughs) A successful, well-balanced life can only happen when we listen more than we speak. And and I, I guess if I was to put a balance into this, I would say if you think that means you never speak, you never share with others what what's happening in your life, what's going on. That's not humble. It takes humility to actually be open and transparent with someone. My good friend, um, arguably my best friend, I spoke with him yesterday and he's been having some health issues and 
And I, and I finished that phone call, I thought, you know, I, I know that he would not be sharing that with everybody, so I feel privileged that he shared that with me. And I think we need to take, those, take note of that. This is what it says in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 33, and many of us read a chapter of Proverbs every day, and it says this, But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. And if I was to ask a Bible trivia question, I would ask the question, who is speaking in this verse? Does anyone know? Wisdom. Thank you. It's wisdom speaking. Whoever listens to wisdom will dwell secure or they're not going to be out of balance. They're going to be secure. So a successful and well-balanced life can only happen when we learn to honour those we care about. And you might think, well, well, hang on, where did that come from? He's talking about listening, now he's talking about honouring. Well, that's because of this, that honouring means, in fact, it demands to honour someone, means that we listen to them well. That's what honouring means. I was talking with um, Ian, Ian uh, Watts, who's a new father of a, of a, of a was it, t- nine, ten-day-old son now, and uh, Sarah's recovering with Walter at the moment, and Ian's started a new business, and the business is doing wedding videos, and I've said, and we were talking before about some of the weddings that he's done, and some of the vows that he's heard, and and he said, you know, sometimes they're a little bit sad because the couples get to make their vows to each other and they're just a joke. They're literally trying to be funny. And if you've ever been to a wedding that I've done or if I've married you, you know, for me, this is not a joke. And in fact, if I've done your pre-marriage counselling and everyone that I've married, I've done pre-marriage counselling with, and generally we take nine months, but we take a whole session on this word honour. Because in the wedding vows one of the pivotal vows, one of the climactic vows is that the groom vows to his bride to love, cherish and honour his bride. And the bride vows back that she will love, cherish and honour. There's a couple other things in there, but I want to highlight those words together. Honour her husband. And honour begins by learning to listen to the other person. I mentioned just in kind of passing that Kim and I are in the midst of a situation where we're seeing a family break apart and I just think, man, if you would just understand what this word honour means and presumably you vowed this when you got married, your whole marriage could be turned around right now. And maybe you're in a situation where it's relationally tough for you and perhaps today could be the thing that unlocks the next level for you. It could take you out of a pit and take you onto higher ground if you get this. To honour someone well demands that we listen to them well. Good listening involves looking, asking and responding. Wives, how many times have you ever told your husband something and he's not even looking at you? Don't put your hand up, don't put your hand up. Especially don't put your hand up. I'm guilty of this. And Kim will tell you, yes, he is. Thank you, darling. (laughs) Because 
Good listening involves giving attention to. Giving attention. So husbands, when your wife is telling you all about it, Jared, whatever that might be, who cares? I think that's on heat, Stephen. <laughs> just by the way. No, no, it's cold. It's cold. I just wanted to... Whew. But when Alex is telling you something, Alex, does he always look at you when you're talking to him? Yeah, see, I know. The moment you hesitated, thought, now, how do I answer this? Because, guys, we don't do this naturally. We don't. Guys aren't good at this. We need to work at it. So your wife begins to tell you something. I didn't listen to you very well then, I'm sorry. <laughs> but I was looking at you. We need to look. We need to ask. So when your wife says something to you, men... You, you look at it, you give her attention, and then you say, so are you saying, da, 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 repeat it back? That way she knows that you're at least in the room. And when she says, it's going to be a special garbage collection because the council puts one on, a special extra one after Christmas, can you get the bins out? Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, 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 yeah. Six o'clock the next morning... Elbow on the side of the ribs. You told me you, you were going to get the bins out, right? <gasps> so that's a hypothetical scenario. <laughs> the hardest listening involves hearing a challenge to change. I'm going to say something really hard now. I wonder how many couples have ever had a quiet moment together where you've asked the question of each other and really listened and responded to what you've heard when you've asked the question, how do you want me to change? What was that? How long have we got? <laughs> that, that's, that's, this is hard listening because maybe, maybe the one you're married to may say, well, I'm glad you asked. I just wait here. I have a list. I just <laughs> if you do have a list, don't use it. Take advantage of that opportunity and maybe give your top one or two. Proverbs 10.17, I'm introducing the next phase in the listening process here with this verse. Whoever heeds instruction is on the path to life. But he who rejects reproof leads others astray. I want to introduce this word heed because it's the responding word. It's the responding and listening. And what I tell couples is that there is active listening. There is, you know, I'm, I'm hearing you. I'm asking questions. I'm hearing you. Active listening. Reactive listening. I'm not folding my arms, rolling my eyes. Oh, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. I'm not looking away. I'm going... I'm not going, oh, yeah, no, no, keep talking, I'm listening. I'm not doing that. Reactive listening is you're reacting well. And then responsive listening is the heeding. The one you're married to has said this and you now respond or heed what they're saying. James 1.19 reminds us about this whole process and it says this. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak and slow to anger. 
And I introduce this verse because sometimes when someone is saying, look, I need you to stop blowing your nose on the doona. Please. Oh, okay, so what you're saying, he's active listening. So what you're saying is you don't want me to blow my nose on the doona. Yes, hallelujah, yes. Ah, oh, right, reactive listening, looking. Okay, uh, so good act, so haven't folded the arms, haven't rolled the eyes, haven't l- checked Facebook while they're talking to you, you haven't tweeted anything in particular. You've actually reacted really well, but there's one more step. It's the heed what you've heard. Heed what you've heard. Respond to what you've heard. Which means you won't what anymore? One person won't. Hallelujah. <laughs> you won't blow your nose on the dune. You've actually heat. So that's the whole process of listening. Can you see how listening isn't just a matter of hearing? It's actually... If we had time, I would, I would teach you that that the one that you're married to has a language, and it's probably not English. It's probably, well, I don't think it's Kimism, but the one I'm married to has a language called Kimmerisms, and you just got to pick them up. And the one that you're married to has their own language. And Jared, when you ask Alex, is everything okay? She goes, yes. <laughs> you know what she's just told you, don't you? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> So you should probably take her out to dinner at Stanley or something, overlooking the nut or something. <laughs> and uh, we went up to Stanley, we went to the restaurant and we couldn't get a seat because Jared and Alex had the last table. <laughs> so we went to a better place anyway. <laughs> Don't know. But it was nice, it was nice to see them up there at Stanley sort of having a meal together. So there's, there's different types of listening. There's the type of listening that you're involved with at the checkout. How was your day? Good, thanks. How was yours? Oh, yeah, awesome, thanks. What, what, what have you just heard? Nothing. What have they just heard? Less than nothing. And that's okay, that's fine. But then when the one that you're close to speaks to you, you have to listen differently, and I hope you, you pick that up. And ultimately, it means that you'll, you'll be challenged to change and there's this challenge to be corrected. And you cannot grow as a person unless you are corrected. Proverbs 15 verse 31 says this, The ear that listens to life-giving reproof or correction will dwell among the wise. So if you can learn to take correction, and I mean don't just... Actually, respond, change. You'll grow as a person, you'll dwell among the wise, which is poetic for saying you'll become wise. Whoever ignores instruction despises himself, but he who listens to reproof, correction, gains intelligence, it says. So therefore, a well-balanced life is a life that is lived wisely. It's lived wisely. And I'm going to suggest to you that God has designed for every one of us to receive wisdom. We are creatures who are designed to seek after, find and implement wisdom and guidance. 
God's designed that. Hmm. And I'm going to suggest to you this is how he's done it. It says in Ephesians chapter 6, which follows, strangely enough, after Ephesians chapter 5, where it says in Ephesians chapter 5 about husbands and wives. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. That's a pretty high call. Wives, submit to your husbands. And we often get hung up on that last bit. And sometimes the next bit that he has to say, which is this, just falls through the cracks. Honour your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you, that you may live long in the land. And of course, he's quoting from the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 5.16, Honour your father and mother as the Lord your God has commanded you, that your days may be long, that you may go well in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. So here in the New Testament, he takes the application and live long in the land is to live a long, happy, content, peace-filled, prosperous life if you honour your mother and father. So here's that word honour, and I've already told you that honour involves listening. You cannot honour someone unless you start by listening to them. If you say you honour someone and you do not listen to them, you lie. You do not honour them. And now might be a good opportunity to remind just about every couple that were married in a church that nearly every one of you would have vowed on your wedding day, the first day of your marriage, to honour the one you're married to. So God has designed for each one of us to receive wisdom and guidance from our parents. Now I know how some are going to respond to this. Some are going to say, You've got no idea the kind of parents I had. I didn't even have a dad, or I didn't even have a mum, or I had a dad who did this, or I had a mum who did this. And that's, that's why it hurts so much, because that's not right. And it's not supposed to be right. That's why it hurts. It hurts incredibly. And I'm continually amazed at the people that I see in life, in the world, that are totally messed up. And, and, and they, they claim family is stupid, marriage is stupid, parenting is stupid. Who needs them anyway? And, and Kim and I watched the story of a young girl and that was her attitude and she got involved in drugs and prostitution at the age of 12 and ended up murdering at the age of 14 or something. 14, she was murdering. Literally murdering to get money for drugs. And I'm watching this, I'm thinking, okay, it's going to come. It's going to come. They're going to show that this girl did not have a father. Did, did not grow up in her. And sure enough, next ad break, here it came. They went into her background. And it was tragic. <laughs> tragic. So if you're here and you're responding and going, huh, don't you tell me I need a father and a mother to guide me and give me, oh, I haven't had one in it. And I'm going, I know. I agree with you. I get it. So here's what I want to challenge you with. Draw a line in the genealogical tree 
of your life and say, that ends here. With me, I'm going to be the father that I never had. I'm going to be the mother I never had to the children that one day I will have. Please do that. Now, I say some, and I'm not going to say most, because it, it occurred to me that most of us actually had a mum and a dad, and I don't know in a generation whether that will be possible to announce from a pulpit like this, but right now it, I think it is. Most of us have had a mum and a dad, and most of us are better off for having that mum and that dad. Praise God. And, and most of us, and I can look back on my parents and go, you know, they probably weren't the best parents, but they did the best they could. And we've got a lot to be thankful for. We've got a lot to be grateful for. And you've got a lot to maybe draw a line in the sand and go, you know, my parents were not the best parents, but they did the best they could. And now I'm going to be the kind of mum, the kind of dad to my kids that I see was deficient in my parents. I think that's a positive thing. And the gospel helps you to do that. Now, please don't think that means you become a child-centred parent. You become a child-centred parent, you are committing idolatry. And I'm very serious. Your children have to learn a lot. And they have to learn it from you. So here's, here's what we can see as I bring this to a close. If you want to enjoy a well-balanced life, rich in peace, happiness, love and contentment, learn to honour your parents. Honour your parents. Speak well of them. Defend them. Ring them up when it's their anniversary. Send them a Christmas card. Even if they're nasty to you, you be nice to them. Honour them. And here's why. Because as we read in the earliest chapters of the Old Testament, and God is very, very big on this. It's the first command with a promise. The New Testament reminds us that honouring your mother and father is the groundwork. It's the training wheels for learning to honour generally, but God in particular. You see, your father, your earthly father, stands in place of God to you from your earliest age. And here's a picture, maybe a, a, a pale picture, maybe a faint picture, but he's still a picture of who God is to you. A loving, kind, wise, strong father. Let's wrap this up. Honouring. What is it? It's listening. It's hearing. It's heeding. And when you do that, you are thereby treating that person and regarding that person as very important. So dads, you know that when your children are giving the one you're married to a better lip, you step in and show honour to your wife and say, hey, 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 you don't talk to mum like that. You don't ever talk to mum like that. And you model it. You don't ever talk to mum like that in front of them. Well, actually, generally, thank you. Kim just went, grrr. Okay, ever. You don't ever, ever, ever dishonour, publicly or privately. That's true. So what do we see in Scripture about honouring? It's a big deal. It's a part of getting your life in balance. It's a part of getting your life in order. And if you've got unforgiveness towards your parents, 
As we've said repeatedly, unforgiveness is often like standing here with a bottle of poison and you drinking it and expecting the one that you're not prepared to forgive to drop dead. It does nothing to them and it wrecks you on the inside. So let it go. Show honour. Parents bear the primary responsibility to teach their children how to honour others. And I was going to ask a trick question. How many parents here are teachers? And I know some would put their hand up because you think I'm asking a professional question when in fact I'm asking a parental question. And the answer is every one of us. We are all teachers. And here's the responsibility that guys like me, fathers, we bear in raising our children. Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So that means that when... And I'm, I'm hesitating a little bit, but, but, but if Ruby is, has, as you know, some health issues, and if she has certain foods her whole personality changes. And we had an incident this week, and, and I was aware that she was battling emotionally, battling emotionally. And so at the end of it, she came, and I was really impressed with her. She came and gave me a hug and apologised and said, I, I don't know what's happening, I don't like what's happening, please forgive me, just, and she just wanted to be held. And sometimes dads just have to hold their daughters in particular. And just to be their fathers, don't provoke your children. And I thought in an instance like that, I could have really come down as the grrr dad. But I thought, okay, something's going on here. We need to be aware of this. Do you want to get your life in balance? You want to enjoy those benefits that we talked about a moment ago? Then learn to honour. It starts with your parents. It doesn't end there. It then translates into how you treat others and ultimately how you treat God. Let's pray. Father, help me to be someone who honours you. Lord, I'm mindful of Romans 12.11 or 12.10 where it commands us to honour one another. I'm mindful that the, the closing words of worship in Scripture, in the book of Revelation, say where they ascribe to you blessing and honour and glory. And so, Father, we regard you as supremely important and therefore we want to listen to you. We want to hear what you're saying. We want to give you our attention and we want to heed what you're saying. And perhaps you're here now and you've, you've never done that. You've never surrendered your life to Christ. You know that if this was to be your last heartbeat, maybe your last day, you would face God on the seat of judgment and you would have no grounds upon which to say to him, you should let me in. I've got some great news for you, and I want to help you die well. I want to help you to die well, and I believe that if you die well, by knowing that you're going to heaven, you'll live well. And this is the truth, that if you would ask God to forgive you of your sin right now, forgive you and to cleanse you and to come into your life and help you to live right now, you can die really well, knowing that on that day when he says to you, why should I let you in, you can say to him, because I put my faith, my trust in Jesus Christ who died in my place. So Father, I pray that there would be people that say, Jesus, 
I want you, I, I accept your forgiveness. I thank you that you died on the cross in my place. You took my penalty, my punishment, so that I can enter into heaven and enjoy all that's yours for eternity. And Father, I pray for us, the church, that we would be a people who know how to honour others, bless others, live a life where we show kindness, a life where people can say, you look really well balanced. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. A successful and well-balanced life can only happen when we learn to honour those we care about. And that demands that we listen well. Some challenging thoughts in tonight's message. More from Dr Corbett next week in the series Top 10 Proven Keys to Living a Balanced Life. Next week will be number seven. When you get in a vein, being vain, you're a pain. Podcasts and Finding Truth Matters resources, including tonight's program, which is number six in the series, Top 10 Proven Keys to Living a Balanced Life, are available via the website, findingtruthmatters.org, or by contacting us at Lagana Media. PO Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania, 7277. For updates and special offers, please visit our Facebook page, facebook.com slash findingtruthmatters. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.